which is on troubled times. And uh, I sort of fast-tracked this message partly because of what's going on in the world at the moment, obviously, and partly because Pastor Bronwyn, she was here, spoke on the theology of suffering. And uh, in fact, I've been engaging with the same topic in my uh, theology course at the moment at Alpha Crucis. And, you know, we all know here that none of us in this room are a stranger to suffering, right? There's always stuff going on. You know, we live in turbulent times and there's grades of it and, and I know we're not living in a, a garbage tip or something in a third world country. That's suffering for sure. But there's all different levels or things that go on in life for us as a community and even as a nation. Some of those things are real. Some of them are imagined as well. <laughs> and... You know, both real and imagined, we're currently in a situation where our world is in lockdown almost, and that's okay. I think it's good to be responsible, but we don't need to, as Trish prayed this morning, take it to the next level of crazy. And Australians are tough. We've weathered um, the impact of drought, fire, and the toilet paper catastrophe, which is going to come up here in a minute. So <laughs> this is our strategy, how we're protecting ourselves clearly in Australia. But, you know, there's been all sorts of memes and things going around and uh, I trust that um, you've been able to shop for what you need this week. But I guess there's, you know, back in the day, they did stuff before toilet paper. Like, it's going to be okay. You know, toilet paper. Does anyone know when toilet paper was invented? Okay, that's homework for the week. We'll just have to Google it now. <laughs> and you know what? There's actually no formula for us to follow in troubled times. But I was thinking about this during the week and I was reading something from Steve Penny and uh, he gives us some tips about how we can respond when we are in times of trouble. And the first tip is this, never give trouble a capital T. And I liked that. You know, we all need to learn to calm down in times of crisis or trouble in our life. And it doesn't have to be something on the world stage. Sometimes there's things that's going on in our life that seems like trouble with a T. And you know what? I think when we look to Christ himself, he was a great example of not giving trouble a capital letter. You know, in the storm, he was calm. And he never let what was going on out there enter into his soul. And I think that he's a great role model for us, as I'm sure you do as well. And clearly, when we're going through storms in life, panicking, talking about it too much, not to a trusted friend or mentor to pray, but repeating your troubled story to every person you meet, or overthinking it, actually brings the storm into our soul. And so that's a great tip. The second tip that we can um, um, adhere to is... Why don't we just ask for help if we're in trouble? If you're without toilet paper, why don't you text a friend and see if they've got any spares or whatever it is? You know, no one in the world, in your world, almost without exception, I know there could be the odd exception from a weird person, but nobody in your world wants to see you fail or wants to see you do, doing badly, right? And you don't want that for other people. But so often we walk around and we carry our trouble like we can't share it because what would they think? Or, uh, you know, or we're, we're the only one going through it or, you know, they want me to fail. And I just think so often it's good to realise that we're all on the same side and that people are always willing to help. 
And in fact, God himself is willing to help. He's an ever-present help in a time of trouble. And I think sometimes God uses trouble. I'm not saying, you know, he can use other methods. We don't have to have trouble all the time. But one good thing about trouble is that he actually uses it to get our attention at times. And it's an opportunity for us to seek God and his help to humble ourselves to be willing to learn something different or even to change. Isn't that amazing? If something's not working for you, maybe there's something we can do differently. Tip number three, be careful not to label every storm. Giving names to every storm, problem, failure, behavioural issue, issue, emotional thing you've got going on can be dangerous. And I put a disclaimer out here. I know that in education and medicine and, um, you know, emotional care, it is important sometimes to give something a label so that you can get funding or help. So I'm not talking about that. But I'm just saying, suggesting that, you know, if you've been a bit low in your spirits for one or two days, don't, necessar- don't necessarily declare, I'm now clinically depressed. You know, that's not necessarily going to help you get out of that. If you are clinically depressed, there's no shame in that. Get help. We'll pray with you. That's fine. Well, it's not really fine, but you know what I mean. (laughs) It's okay to use a label in those circumstances, but we just don't want to magnify problems in our life if we don't need to. So let's just be aware and wise that when we find a name or a label for something, that actually that challenge can sometimes loom larger than it needs to and dictate to us. And let's not forget the mighty name of Jesus that is a great label or name to apply to situations that we're believing we're going to overcome in his strength. Amen, church? The mighty name of Jesus. You know what? We could even, just as we prayed for the drought to end and for rain to come, we can pray for the coronavirus to not be as bad as they think it's going to be, to be contained. And actually, all those logistical things they're putting in place, you know, aren't fun, take up a lot of effort and energy from government bodies and, you know, um, regulatory bodies. But let's be believing that they'll do the job and we don't have to walk in fear. And another tip, of course, is not to take trouble personally. Sometimes we can get angry at ourselves angry at others when trouble comes, angry at God as almost it's a personal vendetta because someone took our car place or, you know, we're down with the flu for a week. Be careful of that mentality of taking it personally. Poor me, pity me. Trouble, tip number five, won't last. This too shall pass. It's something that we can encourage ourselves and others with. And you know what? Just a different sort of trouble will come another week. Your car might break down or something. We just have to have a healthy view when trouble comes. And, you know, here, time does pass quickly, doesn't it? Because it's autumn, right? We've had a slightly cool change, I think, this morning. Still humid in my mind. I can't straighten my hair. Sorry, guys. It's just not working. You have to look at me like this. But, you know, time passes quickly. We sometimes think we're in something and it does feel like it's going forever and that's not to um, minimise when we're in suffering. It certainly does pass slowly but ultimately time progresses. And we're actually coming up to a fairly tragic anniversary on March 11, about 19 years ago I think it was, yeah, March 11, 2011. Who remembers what happened then on the earth? Does anyone remember? I said geography people. Oh, wow. See, we do forget because there's always new troubles. Tsunami and earthquake hit 
Japan, about northwest Japan, and 28,000 people um, were actually killed and hundreds of thousands were made homeless. And, you know, Japan was not a stranger to this sort of weather event. Back in, I think, 1923, they'd actually had um, another massive earthquake followed by, uh, I'm not sure if there was a, a tsunami with that one, but it was, I think it was just an earthquake. And I think 100,000 people died. You know, there's bad news and suffering and trouble happening on the earth regularly. And it's interesting that this same type of natural disaster, which happened in 1755 in Lisbon, where there was an earthquake and then a huge tsunami, and it caused the death of about 50,000 people in Portugal, um, Spain and North Africa. It was quite a symbolic time in the community and in the church in beginning a particular discussion. And they started symbolically a modern discussion on theodicy. Now, it's not idiotcy, <laughs> it's theodicy. And that funny word just means this. It's debate and discussion and apologetics around the topic of, okay, why is there suffering and evil on the earth? And how can we vindicate the fact that we do have divine providence in the view of that there is the existence of evil on the earth? You with me? It raises questions clearly, suffering, viruses, drought, pestilence, plague, earthquakes, all of this stuff about what is going on with our earth, what is going on with God. And, you know, some say, of course, that such incidents of suffering, some suggest that they're an argument against the existence of a loving God. That's what some people say. In fact, the media started to do this around, uh, I think it was the tsunamis in Thailand, another place, Boxing Day in 2014, I think it was. And there was this huge commentary in the media, but, you know, where is God in all this if supposedly he exists? Interestingly, so many of the victims of that disaster were not actually raising that question. They were sharing the fact that their faith in God actually sustained them through it. But that was the debate that started. And, you know, it is an important question to consider. And I think Bron um, touched on it last week. But for me, as I think about this issue, the main point to learn from natural disasters is not just why does God allow them, but it's actually to recognise the fact that the reality of troubled times actually collides with another faith that is alive and well in our world. And that faith is the humanistic faith. It's subtle, but it's prevalent, that our modern world, our technology, our human resources and reasoning can conquer anything. We can solve anything, we can do anything. And I think natural disasters show that humanism is not the answer to the world's troubles either. And, you know, our recent bushfires here at home actually showed us that while we love technology, I love technology, I'm not a Luddite, I love it, but it shows that it does have our limitations at times. Remember, I, heard, I was only having a discussion with someone a couple of weeks before and they said to me, are there any pay phones left? Do you think they'll ever be phased out? I said, nah, because you can get free Wi-Fi there, you see. You can go there and you do that. So they're never going to phase them out. And what happens if your phone goes flat and, you know, your tyre goes flat, you can't call for help. There'll always be pay phones. But we know that reception, the internet and even, gasp, the iPhone kind of weren't the be-all and end-all during those bushfires. My brother in um, Batemans Bay got a message out on a landline or an RFS phone. We didn't hear from him for 10 days, for 10 days. 
So it just goes to show that sometimes we put our confidence or our expectation in things and natural disasters, suffering, show us that actually we're not always as smart as we think we are and sometimes there's just things that are out of our control. And I think that natural disasters, and you could even lump climate change in there, I suppose, are brutal reminders to us that humankind has not yet mastered the forces of nature and bent them to our every will and desire, and nor are we likely to. And in fact, human error at times, such as with town planning or responses to disaster, have even exacerbated suffering unnecessarily in those times of natural disasters. And even though it says in Genesis that we've been ordained by God to rule and reign over the earth, sometimes we don't do a very good job of it, even with all of our book learning and our amazing evolving technology, which I'm not against. I think we should, you know, be wise in things and learn, all of that. But obviously, our beautiful world, even with all of those advancements, is at times in a mess. And of course... When we're wondering about things and people are debating it, the debate really picks up when you start to talk about not just natural disasters, but about things that are actually really only to do with the evil nature of humankind. I mean, if you think of the 20th century, when you looked at the problem of suffering with the Holocaust and, and Stalin and Hiroshima and Nagasaki, and then you can go to Cambodia, Rwanda, all of that, it's not necessarily a fun picture to think of, and you can't blame that as an act of God or a, you know, a natural disaster. That is people in their ambition and in their power plays doing some pretty horrific things. And not just those, um, the poster boy or, you know, for that movement or, you know, like, it's not just about Hitler. There was a whole nation and people that for some reason went along with aspects of his evil plan. In fact, yesterday I watched a film, it's a very long film, uh, called The Scarlet and the Black. And it was all about how um, when Nazi Germany occupied Rome and then the Vatican was neutral about how an official in the Vatican, even though the Pope wasn't super keen because he wanted to maintain the neutrality, which is a whole issue in itself, should the church have remained neutral, but anyway, that's a different topic, about how he had his small effort and he actually um, was managed to save through a whole network of uh, POWs that had been shot down and escaped him. He hid them all over the city in all different spots. And um, I recommend it. I don't recommend the music. It's a little bit off-putting, but I'd recommend watching that. A great reminder, we sometimes think of suffering, oh, that was the Jews in Germany. We forget how pervasive how so many cities, nations and people were affected by that type of evil and suffering. Can I get a drink? <laughs> and you know, it's true. The Old Testament prophets not uncommonly painted disaster as God's judgment on sin. There are definite times where that happens. But not every disaster can be seen through that lens, can I encourage us this morning. So unless you're a God or you're a recognised prophet, I think we need to be careful of assuming or suggesting that, you know, when something happens to one country or one people group, that they actually deserved it. That it must have been because of this, this and this, because of their sin 
brought that about. You know, that tsunami, that fire came about to them because they did this. You with me, people? You with me? Yep, we've just got to be careful of that. Jesus clearly addresses this issue. Let's turn to scripture. Luke 13, verse 1, I think we'll go to 5. About this time, Jesus was informed that Pilate had murdered some people from Galilee as they were offering sacrifices at the temple. Do you think those Galileans were worse sinners than all the other people from Galilee? Jesus asked, is that why they suffered? Not at all. And you will perish too unless you repent of your sins and turn to God. And what about the 18 people who died in the tower when Siloam fell on them? Were they the worst sinners in Jerusalem? No. And I tell you again, unless you repent, you will perish too. And so there's two main things that directly and then indirectly come out of this passage. And I love it how Jesus engaged with the issues of the time as we should. And, you know, in some versions, that passage is entitled um, The Call to Repentance. And so clearly, the central concern that Jesus brings out when there is these random things, people are, you know, murdered in a synagogue, which is actually not an uncommon thing, unfortunately, that happens in our world today, or when there's a construction accident and, you know, something falls down and people are killed. The, The key thing for Jesus is to actually examine your own heart is okay where am I with God maybe I should be making myself right with God and our response according to this modeling is not to start pointing our fingers at other people grading sin is theirs worse than mine blaming others but to actually consider our own heart and I love it how Christ corrects assumptions and um, he redirects his listeners then and the readers today to the, the truth that tragedies and troubled times do occur and they should primarily be viewed before anything else as an opportunity to turn to God and not to point fingers at others. And really getting into discussions about who's responsible, who's the biggest sinner and all of that is actually a diversion, a mask to the real issue at hand, which is, okay, Lord, where do I stand with you? And uh, the second thing that needs to be said, of course, is that trouble, sickness, calamity, disaster is inferred in this passage and elsewhere in Scripture supports the argument I'm going to make here. It's actually not always specifically due to your sin or anyone else's that you can pin on, that we have a universal problem on this earth, that we actually live in a broken and fallen world. And we know since the rebellion in the Garden of Eden, uh, since that time, bad stuff has been corrupting the earth. What was good at times now is bad. Does that mean there's still not beauty and great things happening in our earth? Not at all, because we're his image bearers and God's Holy Spirit is still operating in the earth. But it does mean that at times it's almost like we're, we're working with, all the, with our Holy Spirit-directed um, talents and calling, we're working within a fractured environment. And so this is why things happen. And, that, you know, clearly, there is a moral evil still prevalent on the earth. We don't simply do wrong things. We actually do wrong things because we are flawed. There's actually something wrong with us. Thank you, Jesus, that he came, that he actually fixes up our sin problem. 
But that's why stuff keeps happening. And you think, well, why is there evil? Because there's actually something flawed in us and there's actually something deeply wrong with the earth since that time. And that's why Ecclesiastes refers to not just meaningless suffering caused from natural disasters, even refers, remember when we studied it, I think a couple of winters ago, it talks about uh, vanity and meaningless. It just comes from this sense of emptiness. There may actually be nothing drastic happening, but sometimes people just suffer from that um, because of the brokenness in our planet and in our lives. And the reason that there's even death is the fact that this sin entered the earth from the very beginning. But scripture and life both suggest that there is a category of undeserved suffering. In this sense, we all know that we're all sinners. We all know that we all deserve death, but that doesn't necessarily equate to therefore in that situation, that came at you or that came at someone you loved because they did something specifically wrong in that circumstance. And we're all guilty of wrongdoing, of course, but that doesn't actually mean that there's not a category where we think about things in the earth or even in our own life where it was indiscriminate in a sense that we just live in a broken environment. Could I have a little bit more volume there so I can... Um, Gus? Hello. Can I just have a little bit more volume? Can you hear me okay? That's good. It's just me straining to hear that I'm speaking loud enough. You know what? Creation is actually described as groaning under the weight of sin and the curse that was a result of it. Romans 8, 20 to 22 says this. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. So the reality is, is that that is one of the reasons, I think the main reasons why there is suffering and things going on the earth that we don't always enjoy because the earth around us is diseased by sin. And you know what? Freak accidents do happen. But I just think we need to also focus as well on the day that is promised which will herald freedom from death and decay. And just accept, Jesus says, in this world you will have trouble. That's okay. Does that mean I'm not an overcomer? No, it doesn't. It just means that there's stuff you're going to have to overcome on this earth, right? And just to, um, to finalise, uh, just the last part of this message, I just want to take a moment to talk about God's embrace in suffering. And I know that... Um, I think Bron touched on this last week. I guess with our modern, relatively cushy lives, we don't really understand this a lot. I guess if we were a Christian in the early church getting persecuted or living in a time where the standard of living wasn't as high, we might have more of an understanding of how God comes to us in those times. Because, you know, today we're so almost sanitised, desensitised in so many ways until we have a rude shock when something like the coronavirus or bushfires come through. But you know what? When we do suffer, whether or not it's by our own fault um, or not, we can actually find God with us in a really special way. Jesus suffering on the cross and his feeling of abandonment at that time identifies with all who have ever suffered and will ever suffer. That was part of the point of the cross, to send that message not that just your sins are forgiven and 
by his blood that we're cleansed, but also to, to herald in the fact that he's with us in suffering and in this broken time until a new heaven and earth is created and it doesn't exist. And so the cross is a definitive act of solidarity with those who suffer. It's a good thing to, to meditate on at times. And consider this. God is God, right? And for him to be God, as God, he's actually not subject uh, to things going against his will. He's actually not weak, as we sometimes are. And um, we often are victim of things. God is not a victim of things. But yet, God in Christ, the eternal one, voluntarily elected to be thirsty, to await a gruesome death, almost experience a fear of death that some of us, if you've sat with someone or maybe you've experienced yourself, he actually chose in the person of Christ to experience that. He allowed himself to be mocked. He didn't have to be. It wasn't against his will. No one forced God to do that. He is God. But he chose to do that. He chose an undignified, dehumanising death on the cross, voluntarily, and he suffered for us. And so I think that when we consider suffering and troubled times on the earth, I think this part of God's story needs to have the final say, to always remember that God himself voluntarily suffers for us. And we think of even God the Father, the sacrifice that he made, he did it out of the fullness of his love. That is what motivated him. And Romans 3.8 says that God did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Did you sense the pain in that statement? Imagine if that was us mums and dads. He did not spare your own son. And he did that because he loved us. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son for us. It's a beautiful thing. And so let's stand. We're actually going to share communion together at the close of this message. So we're going to, um, the team is going to lead us in a song called Clean, which has got great words and um, it's no hurry. Um, as we sing this song, you'll be served the elements and I'll come back up afterwards.